This is Dr. Chris Olenek from Eastside Urgent Care, uh, located across from Indian River Medical Center adjacent to Perkins Pharmacy. I'd like to invite anyone out there with medical concerns, whether it be emergent or urgent, to come to my facility for immediate care, as well as uh, immediate radiology testing, lab testing, and follow-up care consistently with one doctor. My phone number is 770-6225. A very courteous, compassionate staff ready to take your phone calls or come on and greet you as you come to my office at Eastside Urgent Care, Dr. Chris Olenek. Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. And it is such a joy to be here with you today, the day after Independence Day here in the United States, where it's all about recognizing and being grateful for all the freedoms that we are given in the world today. And one of the biggest freedoms that we have is the ability for me to be on the air with you today. Not every country in the world has the ability to just talk about whatever they want to talk about on the radio. And today we have somebody on the show today who I've been privileged to have on the show before, and I've had his co-author on the show as well. And Bob Berg, to me, is one of the biggest plus ones in the world that you can have. He is just so amazing and such a value-added person. So Bob is on the show today. He's a highly sought-after conference speaker who teaches the principles at the core of his book, The Go-Giver, to audiences worldwide. He's a former top sales professional who's named by the American Management Association as one of the top 30 most influential thought leaders. For me, what he is is a friend and a mentor and some of you gives really awesome hugs. And I'm sorry he couldn't be in the studio with us today. And Shane, yes, you give really awesome hugs too. My producer, if I didn't say that, he'd be very upset with me. You had to see the frowny face I got. So, Bob, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Laura, always loves speaking with you. And I'm sorry we had, didn't get to have our hugs today. That's something I always look forward to. Same here. But, you know, radio... It, it doesn't matter where you are. That's the beauty of radio. I mean, I, I, I have a guest who's going to be coming on soon um, who is in Kuala Lumpur. Ah. He runs, he founded Mind Valley, and he's going to be on the show. And it's the beauty of radio is you can be wherever you are. And I, I love how connected the world has become for those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned you're my favorite plus one, but what a lot of people don't probably don't understand is where that comes from for me. Um, have you ever read a book called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Colonel Chris Hadfield? I have not read that one. Sounds oh, fascinating. It is an absolutely amazing book. And he's a Canadian astronaut. And he's truly spectacular in terms of his writing and his visualizations. But he talked about a lesson he learned when he was part of the space program. He's retired now. And somebody had stood in an elevator and refused to push the button, and he goes, I didn't go through all this training to have to push buttons in an elevator. So he literally waited till somebody else in the elevator pushed the button for the floor he wanted to go on. And what he realized was there are three people in life. There's two classes. There's a minus one, somebody who is actively harmful and creates problems. That's just their personality. That's what they want to do in a situation. Somebody who's a zero, and their impact is neutral, and it doesn't tip that balance either way. And a plus one is somebody who actively adds value in their interactions. So if they can't add value, they strive to be a zero. 
till they get all the information that they can to make the soundest, best input that they can. And then they try strive to be a plus one. So for me, that's what you do. You add value in the things you do, including with your new book, The Go-Giver Leader, a little story about what matters most in business. Well, thank you. I'm I'm honored to be thought of as a plus one by you. You are a definite plus one in my life. Say plus infinity plus one. <laughs> thank you. To infinity and beyond. That's what I always think of when I think of that. Now, now Bob, you've just been doing a, a new series of programs called the Go-Giver Sales Academy, which yeah. builds off of the whole idea of the Go-Giver, Go-Giver Sell More and the Go-Giver Leader, which is by providing amazing value to your clients, more abundance will come, your clients will come. What What is it that made you create Go-Giver Sales Academy? Well... You know, for years, Lara, I've been speaking, doing, you know, mainly keynote programs, I guess, you know, the hour, hour and a half programs in front of large audiences, which I love. I mean, I, I enjoy that very much. Um, but we we have a, um, a certified Go-Giver speaker program where we have people from all over that, that learn how to speak on the Go-Giver and, and so forth. And um, when we do the trainings for those, the teachings, they're always small groups, you know, 10 to 12 people. And... Kathy Tage and all my business partner and I, we love speaking at those. I not not even we shouldn't even say speaking at those. We love holding those because it's not speaking. It's it's more of a, uh, um, I guess a mastermindy type environment <laughs> where there's a lot of back and forth and so forth. And we thought, you know, what a great idea it might be to have a, a go-giver sales academy for people who they're not involved with our speaker program. They're just people who are entrepreneurs, people who are salespeople, people who understand that when it comes right down to it, you've still got to be able to communicate your value because that's the reason people are going to do business with you. And it's really not even communicate your value. It's communicate the value you can provide them. And a lot of people are, are great when it comes to, you know, they have a product, they, they understand their product, they, they understand the value their product provides, but they just do not feel either comfortable with the sales process or they just have not been able to, to communicate what they do in such a way that other people really, really get it. And uh, so that's what we do. And so we, we limit this to 12 people, and it's over two days, uh, and it's very, very interactive. And because there are so few people, we can take the time to get to know everyone and, and approach everyone's business individually. Why do you think it is that so many people feel uncomfortable with the sales process? Do you think it's the um, used car salesman syndrome, or is it something else to it? Yeah, well, I mean, you think about what, what many people think of when they hear the term sales or selling, and they often think it's uh, that, that it's about uh, trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need, you know, and that, of course, is not selling. That's being a thief, you know, yeah. and so, but, but that is what people a lot of times think of, of selling, even though how often do we do business with someone and we love our salesperson? But we don't think of that as, as selling. We, we, we think of that salesperson, as you said, someone who is doing something in a way that doesn't, doesn't provide value, but rather takes 
from people. And, and, but so when we understand what selling is, then we can approach it a different way. But, you know, again, someone has a, a great belief in their product or service. Someone is technically proficient at what they do. That doesn't mean that they've got experience in sales. It doesn't mean that they understand sales. So that's why you'll hear people say something, well, I, I can't sell. What they're saying is, I can't just go in and blah, 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 you know, tell people about my product or service and convince them to buy. But again, we, we know that isn't really what selling is all about. If we were going to define selling at its most basic level, uh, selling is simply discovering what the other person does want, need, or desire, and helping them to get it. Um, you know, even the word sell, the, if, you, if you go back to the root of the word, the old English root of the word sell was salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you are literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, wait a second, you know, that's kind of that's semantics at <laughs> work. And, you know, I, I don't really think it is, Laura, because w- when you really consider it, if you're in a situation where you're uh, in front of someone and, and you're sharing your, your product or service with them, you are giving. But what are you giving? When you're selling, what exactly are you giving? I suggest you're giving time attention, counsel, education, empathy, and more than anything, value. So when you now look at sales, when you reframe sales as something you do from something you do to someone to something you do with someone or even better, for someone, now you understand that selling is simply a very natural part of what you do and it's actually very, very beneficial to the other person's life as well as your own. So looking at sales the way you defined it, to me, it really hits with one of your five keys to legendary leadership that your latest book, The Go-Giver Leader, is all about, which is um, key four, stand for something. Mm. Sort of leading with your soul. You can lead only as far as you grow, and you only grow as far as you let yourself. So in the purest form of it, really, sales the way you've defined it is you're standing for... Mm-hmm. your client, and you're standing for your business at the same time and making sure that the two are in alignment. Would that be a great way of describing that? It, it's a perfect way of describing it. You know, when you think about it in, in the story, because the, the Go-Giver leader, like the original book, The Go-Giver, is a business parable. And the in this story, the mentor, Aunt L, uh, told Ben that, you know, what you have to offer or she said, what you have to give, you you offer least of all through through what you say. Now, don't get me wrong. What you say is also important. We need to be able to speak to people with kindness, with tact, with, with empathy. So what you say is important, but it's the least important. Uh, more important, of course, is, is what you do. There's a big difference between what you say and, and you know what you do. Or there shouldn't be a difference, but there often is. And that, that's more important. But even more important than what you say and what you do, Laura, is who you are. And I think that's where, where character really comes into play. Uh, you've heard me say before that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And when it comes to trust, that's really what, what character is, is all about. Character itself comes from an old Greek word meaning scrape or scratch. Uh, it came to mean an engraved marking and eventually a defining quality. 
if one were to uh, wax poetic, one could say that that um, character is what happens when life etches or scratches itself onto your soul. Uh, but not being poetic, I, I go with a defining quality, or, or actually probably more accurate would be the sum total of all one's qualities is their defining quality or their character now it's Ooh, interesting. and we're gonna hold right there to the commercial okay. break because that's such a tease okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more from bob berg talking about character success comes from not only what you know but also who you know welcome back to it's all about the questions with award-winning author laura stewart all right bob before the commercial break you started talking about character and that reminds me of something that you very much talk about in your current book, which was when Karen asked Ben what he stands for in the context of people only trust someone when they know where he stands. Mm-hmm. What do you stand for? I mean, I believe I know I'm what you go stand with for. Truth, justice, in the American way. <laughs> How appropriate for this week. <laughs> I mean, you know, like like most people, Laura. I mean, I I would like to think I stand for for what is right. You know that that I operate with honesty and integrity, and trying to bring out the best in others and add value to the world. I would say that you do that. I mean, you well, are my plus one. Thank you, <laughs> Miss Infinity. Thank you. So, talk to me about character and how it fits in. Well, you know, with. Uh, you, you think about someone that you know of of high character, and you, and you notice that with people of high character, you always know where they stand. They always they stand for something. Like you were saying, like you were asking, what do you stand for? Well, you know that they do stand for something, and you always know where they stand. And just as importantly, you always know where you stand with them. They're, they're very consistent. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. People of high character make mistakes, certainly. It, and it doesn't mean they don't course correct. They they absolutely do. Um, it also doesn't mean they won't be flexible when it comes to methodology. You know, they, they will be. But when it comes to those, those values-based decisions, they are absolutely immutable, immovable, and unchangeable. And because of that, we respect them. We would follow them. We trust them. That doesn't mean we always agree with them, um, but we would we would want to be in a foxhole with them if we had to be in a foxhole with someone, you know. And uh, I think that's a lot of what what character is about. A person living their life in such a way that that people would say that is simply who they are. I think of a, a gentleman by the name of John Allison, who was the for 25 years was the chairman and CEO of BB&T, uh, branch banking and trust company, better known as BB&T, a very very hugely profitable bank. Uh, it was also one of the few banks that did not involve itself in uh, subprime lending. Uh, during that whole thing in the in the 2000s up to the financial crisis, uh, and the reason they didn't, Laura, despite the you know hundreds of billions of dollars in, in basically in easy money, uh, and the fact that that you know government was really trying to to get the banks to do that, he he wouldn't do it because it went against his value system and the value system of the bank. Uh, the mission of the bank was to make a profit through adding value to their customers. And he knew 
that that was not the way to do it. It was not appropriate. So he didn't. And when eventually in 2008, the, uh, the House of Cards fell upon itself, uh, John Allison and BB&T were both standing tall, both in reputation and profitability. Uh, so when government came around with the, uh, the bailout money, the taxpayer-funded bailout money, uh, Mr. Allison and BB&T neither needed it nor wanted it. Uh, now they were actually forced to, you know, through implied uh, threat to, to take the money. And um, soon after that, Mr. Allison uh, retired, and he's now doing other things. But here's a guy who, who again, it wasn't the, the decision wasn't difficult for him because he's a person of character. He's a person who had certain values that he stood firm on, as opposed to the old joke by you know Groucho Marx who said, uh, you know, these are my principles, and if you don't like them, I have others. Okay, so do you think that somebody's character can change? I don't think one's character necessarily changes, though it can be improved upon. Uh, but, you know, let me correct myself on that. A person can, if they, if they make a decision, uh, if they make a decision to, to make changes in their life because they know the way they're doing it is not the most appropriate way or the best way, I, I think they can continually learn and improve upon their character. Uh, I, you know, if, if, if the question is, can I say, is someone stuck with the basic character they have? I would say no, but I don't know that that's a correct answer either. I suspect it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Cause you know, you meet certain people and they just seem very steadfast, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're just always the same when you meet them. And then you meet other people that seem to have some sort of core value system that's the same, but the way they implement it seems to change quite often. Well, right, but that could be uh, that could be something different from their actual character itself. In other words, let's say part of their character, part of their makeup is honesty and integrity. Uh, they would absolutely never cheat, okay, which means they would not cheat at business, they would not cheat on the golf course, they would not cheat at home, they just—it's just not what they—it's just them, okay. Um, but there are different ways to accomplish certain things, and and someone might, you know, again, be flexible on strategies, try certain strategies. I, I think when I speak of character, I'm really talking about those core, those core values. Okay, that that I can get that. I see that, and true character always wins out, right? When it comes down to the stress times, um, yeah, absolutely, because it's what we will—it's uh, what we will always default to. So, if somebody's uncertain of what their true character is, what would piece of advice would you give them to try to find out what they stand for and know that it's really truly who they are? Uh, well, I guess it's you know you you, you only really find out when. Uh, when there's something that comes up that it's that it, that it's actually easier in the short term to not act congruently with your character you know it's easy it's easy to be honest when there's no temptation <laughs> that's very very true that sort of fits with your um 
third key to legendary leadership. I know we're all over the place with this, but oh, I just okay. I love the way the conversation's flowing. <laughs> you know, the third key, do the work. Lead from your gut, stay usually humble, stay grounded, get mud on your boots, and trust yourself. So if somebody's uncertain of who they are as a person, they'll know when they're doing the work of how they're showing up consistently. Yeah, yeah they just need to, you know, to pay attention to it. So, and, and not, you know, I was just reading an excellent book by uh, Ryan Holiday called "Ego Is the Enemy," and uh, and and the way he means it, it's it, he means it the type of ego when you know when it's obviously uh, causing bad results or or bad manifestation. To me, ego simply is it's the I, it's that part of ourself that you know sees that understands that we are a uh, distinct individual human being. If when we control our ego. We can we can use it for real good things for us and for society. When ego controls us, that gets very dangerous. Uh, but so he's talking about the dangerous part, and it's a brilliant, absolutely, absolutely brilliant book called Ego. Called Ego is the Enemy. But one of the things he says that is just um, uh, wonderful, and I've noticed this in the teachings of many other very 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 wise people, and he talks about being connected to reality. Now, this doesn't mean that you're somebody who says, oh, this is just the way it is, there's nothing I can do about it. No, that, that's not what he's talking about. He's meaning being connected to reality in terms of truth. It means being willing to, to see yourself for who you are, not just how you want yourself to be. It means being able to accept feedback, uh, even when that even even when that feedback isn't something that um you know is very comfortable necessarily and so great you know uh leaders uh control their ego they 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 uh direct their ego they stay connected with reality they see the world as it is they understand human nature uh as it is as opposed to the way they'd necessarily like it to be. This would be very similar in a way to, uh, to wanting to invent a machine that flies in the air, okay? And in order to do that, you cannot deny reality, uh, such as gravity, okay? Right, you yeah, it'd be kind of hard to deny yeah, that. Gee, I really want to build this machine that's going to fly, So, but this gravity stuff gets in the way, so I'm just going to be really positive in my thought and say, oh, gravity's not going to affect. No, you, you, you tie into reality, and you learn the laws of uh, gravity. You learn the laws of, of aerodynamics. Okay, and when we come back from the news break, we're going to talk about the law of aerodynamics and really in relation to legendary leadership. We'll be right back with more from the amazing Bob Berg. If you're just joining us on Live on the Radio, we're here with Bob Berg, the author of The Go-Giver Leader, a little story about what matters most in business, and also the author of the internationally renowned book, The Go-Giver, plus a whole bunch more, including Endless Referrals, Go-Givers Sell More, all sorts of other amazing books. Um, Bob, before the news break, we were talking about um, a book you recently read, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, and it linked me to one of your five keys to legendary leadership about do the work. So uh, you have in, in that one key, stay hugely humble, stay grounded. So that to me says it's not about the negative way of evil, but how does somebody stay hugely humble? 
Well, in a sense, I, I think it's a, a couple different things. One is just you know remembering where you came from. We all started out somewhere that was not at the top, <laughs> that was not in a position of leadership. Uh, we started out not knowing the job as well as we as we know it now, and so we can have empathy for those who are, uh, you know, where we might have been a while back. Uh, it's also, I think it's also knowing your strengths and it's also knowing your weaknesses. And most of us have a few strengths and a lot more weaknesses. And so it, it's, it's understanding that you can be grateful for the strengths you have, even though, you know, you've worked hard at developing those strengths, certainly. Um, uh, and yet we can feel very grateful that when there's an organization and we're leading an organization, that it's not just a matter of our strengths. That's why giving leadership is so important, the actual verb part of that, because giving leadership is both a, a noun and a verb. But the verb part, giving leadership, it's it's utilizing the strengths of others. Because, uh, you know, and I, a, a good friend of mine, Dan Rockwell, who I think you know, uh, he goes by Leadership Freak on, on Twitter. He says, if you're the smartest person on your team, you have a weak team. And so I, I think staying hugely humble means, hey, you know, we want to surround ourselves with people who know more than us in the many areas uh, in which we're not necessarily proficient. All right. So you mentioned practice. You mentioned giving leadership. That's a concept that I don't think most leaders think about when they're talking about leading. Mm -hmm. And that happens to be your, your fifth key to legendary leadership, practice giving leadership. It's never about the leader. It's about holding people up. Um, and best way to increase your influence is to give it away. How does somebody begin? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but giving leadership, it's a very, it sounds like a very foreign concept mm -hmm. for, for most leaders. And leaders, I think, from your perspective, don't necessarily ha are leaders just because they're in a role of leadership. Right. It that's may come from leadership. Okay. And that's, yeah. And positional leadership typically isn't strong as, as what we would call moral leadership or, or leadership that's been earned. Okay, so how does somebody begin practicing giving leadership? Well, I think first it's it's really understanding uh, what we even mean by a go-giver leader. And to be a go-giver leader means that, first and foremost, you know you're charged with a huge responsibility, and that's to serve others. That is your big responsibility. As, as the leader, you are the top server. Uh, your focus is on bringing exceptional value to those you lead. You understand that uh, great leadership, and you, you, know, you mentioned this, is not about the leader, but rather about everyone whose lives they have the opportunity to touch. And that's very important. Now we say, you know, giving leadership, and people say, well, how, what do you mean by giving leadership as opposed to taking leadership, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, taking leadership can have two meanings in and of itself. It's not always bad. Taking leadership is is the person who comes into a situation when the, the game is on the line or the account's on the line or the situation is on the line. They assume responsibility. Uh, it, it's uh, Michael Jordan taking that last shot, right? He's going to take leadership, and and, uh, and that's what everyone on the team wants because he's the leader. Uh, it's the, the person, it's the woman in the restaurant who, when someone is choking, 
she takes leadership. She uh, looks at someone and says, call 911. She looks at the person who's choking. She performs the Heimlich maneuver. She, she took leadership she, and saved the day. That, that's great. And it could even be that person who comes into a company that is faltering, and they, they take leadership. They turn things around. And, and again, that's, that's fine. But there's always, um, there's always that danger when taking leadership. And often we think of the person who comes into a, uh, a company, and they, you know, they run things their way. They make it almost about themselves, or as, as Aunt L explains to, uh, to Ben, they become the deal, which is when you transpose the, you know, the letters in lead, L-E-A-D, and make it D-E-A-L, right? They, they oh, yeah. become the deal. They, they try and influence by compliance rather than by earning commitment. Um, and giving leadership is the opposite. Laura, it just simply means it's understanding that the team's what it's all about and that those individuals who've committed to the vision, they've done this as a result of knowing that you're committed to them and you're, you're charging them with leading. You're equipping them. It doesn't mean you're abdicating responsibility, but it's, da- it's Captain David Marquet going on to the, ta- you know, taking command of the ship, the uh, USS uh, Santa Fe, which was the the worst, literally the worst performing submarine in the U.S. Navy, and understanding that nobody was 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 vested in the success of the ship. It was top down leadership they were used to. They were made to feel badly about themselves and unimportant as, as simply a a cog. And what he did is he gave them leadership. Uh, he let them know what he expected, but he worked with them. He 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 trained them. He taught them. He mentored them. He counseled them. And within two years, it went from the worst-performing ship to the actual number one best-performing ship in the U.S. Navy. Um, he, it, this was documented in his great uh, book, Turn the Ship Around, and, and Simon Sinek uh, mentioned it in, in Simon's great book. I uh, love him. <laughs> uh, the uh, Eat Leaders Eat Last. So, yeah, I mean, this is, and this is the way good, great leadership works. Okay, so, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of different things that you were talking about in there, and one thing keeps, one question keeps popping up in my mind. Because I believe everything you've said, right? Number one, it's how I strive to be, um, and I hope that's how I am. It fits you are. along, thank you. It fits along with my opening conversation about Chris Hadfield and the minus ones and the zeros and the plus mm-hmm. ones. So uh, somebody who's who's giving leadership and being a strong leader at the same time is going to be a zero or a plus one. Somebody who is not doing that effectively is probably going to be a minus one in terms of they're they're negatively infecting things. In this day and age of all the social media and even in corporate life where um, it sometimes can be difficult to move up a corporate ladder without touting – all the things that you've done, how does that pre- giving leadership um, fit in with all of that? Because nowadays there's so much, oh, this is what I've done, and, and talking about it is the only way you seem to get noticed. Mm-hmm. How does that fit? It seems like a contradiction. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with making known what you've done and, and making sure the appropriate people notice it. I, I don't think there's anything. I think it's, it's wrong when it takes away from the work others are doing 
or when it comes across as, as braggadocio. Um, but, you know, when you think of it as someone in a, in a company climbing the corporate ladder, really your job is to make your boss look good. Your job is to make other people look good, which does, again, there's nothing self-sacrificial about that. It just means that your job is to add value constantly to what you're doing. There's the, there's the temptation, of course, in, in, uh, especially where corporate politics come into play, uh, you know, to think, oh, gosh, you know, if I do that and, and you know, I do my job well and I make others look good, people are going to step on me on the, you know, on the way up. Well, certainly if you're in an organization like that, that doesn't help. And it's not the kind of organization you probably want to be in. Uh, even though you may need to be for right now, but I think one one aspect is doing still doing the best job you can, and again, it's still adding immense value from whatever position you happen to hold. But while you're doing that, if what you're doing is not going to be appreciated because of the corporate culture that you're involved in, you have every right in the world to be looking for a corporate culture in which you are appreciated. So perfectly said and leads right to your first key to legendary leadership, right? Holding the vision. Mm. So if you're not holding, it sounds like with what you just said, if you're not holding the vision for yourself as to where you want to be going and where, say you're running your own business, where you Mm -hmm. want your business to be going, then there's going to be a disconnect, yeah, I mean, I think hold the vision uh, is pertinent to both a personal vision and to the company or organizational vision. Because when you think about it, hold the vision simply means it's the leader's job to uh, to always have the big picture in mind, right? The macro view, the long range view, <laughs> to know where the enterprise is going. But here's the thing, and, and here's what what. Um, what Ben learned early in the story when he was first starting to, to learn about, about this was that it's one thing to have the vision. Anyone can have a vision. Uh, the tough part is holding the vision when things go sideways, which they will, because that's life. <laughs> that's a great that's, book by Mark Sandburn, by the way. Which one's up, down, up, Down, and Sideways. Oh, that's a great book. I, I interviewed Mark on that when it first came out. Mark's one of my favorite speakers and, and teachers and leaders. I met anyway. him through you. Hmm? I met him through you. Yeah, oh, that's right, yeah. because that was at the event we held, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark, Mark is, is absolutely fantastic. And talk about a guy who dealt with some very sideways uh, issues. But he's a great leader, so it doesn't surprise me at all uh, that Mark would do that. But yes, when things go sideways, that people are going to look at the leader. They're going to look to the leader, and they're going to say, okay, how's he or she handling this? What are they doing? What are they saying? And which, uh, again, doesn't mean that you disconnect from truth. It doesn't mean you say, oh, yeah, everything's great, everything's rosy, when it's not. It means that what you're going to do is come up with the appropriate way to handle it, and you're going to hold that 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 vision. You know, one of my favorite stories, and I don't know how, how long we have till the break. You have 40 seconds. How much? <laughs> it's 40 seconds, so why don't we do that story when we come back from that, the break? That sounds like a great Okay, idea. and Patricia Knoll, if, if you're still tweeting, thank you for tweeting, tweet this out for me. Um, anyone can have the vision. It's how you hold it when things go sideways that matters. Hopefully that fits within the 140 characters. I think that's a great thought to go into the commercial I was going to say, so much to say, so little characters. So few characters. So, so true. few characters, yeah. We'll be right back with more from Bob Burke. All right, you were going to share with us your favorite story. 
Yeah, well, one of them has to do with um, the uh, Canadian singer, entertainer, and uh, performer Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, I love her. Promoter, yeah. And, uh, you know, years ago, this was back in the, I think it was the the early 90s, she found herself constantly frustrated by the uh, sexism in the music industry that would not book acts in which there were two women. So, in other words, you you could have a a man open for a man, a woman open for a man, a man open for a woman, but they wouldn't book acts for concerts in which there were two women. I I don't know why and um, uh, whatever, but sexism is sexism. It's not not necessarily logical, right? Uh, Totally opposite of logical. (laughs) Exactly. So so she um, decided to do something about that, and she had a vision and uh, of of a women's concert tour. Now she started by going on tour with with Paula Cole, who opened for her, and they had a very successful. I think it was a summer uh, concert tour, and she then decided to take it much bigger, and and booked venues and all the acts that were all women led acts, and they had this this huge huge tour, uh, very well known uh, as um, Lilith Fair which many people have heard of. And it was one of the most, and these were all-day affairs, some of them, some of them were all night, some were, you know, evening and what, what happened. Amazing shows. Yeah, very, very popular. Now, you think about the vision she had to have and hold in order to pull that off. Because, again, she was going against a, a, a an industry, contrary to an industry that was very set in its ways, very sexist. So she had to come up with venues that would that would, you know, um, would accept this. She had to, I'm sure, come up with the investors. She had to also come up with the acts because who knows knew if it was going to be successful. And these acts were going to have to commit themselves, which meant they weren't going to get paid from other, you know, taking other gigs and so forth. I can only imagine, and I don't know the full story of it, um, but I would, lo- I would, I would love to know everything that had to happen. But I can only imagine how many times that went sideways and how solidly she had to hold the vision. And of course, this Lilith fair was really uh, a hugely successful, hugely profitable um, set of concerts. And launched a number of amazing female acts. Yes. And really yes. put them on the map. Mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, Alanis Morissette was at one of the Lilith fairs, and I heard some recording, and that's when I really, truly found out who she was mm-hmm. as a singer, and it was really powerful. And I, I met her... Um, at Ariana Huffington's Thrive event in New York City the other year, and I know you've interviewed Ariana, and she wrote the forward to um, this current book. Oh, and, wonderful. Uh, so, um, but, you know, to me, that Lilith Fair completely changed the perception mm-hmm. in the world. That's oh, a, exactly. That's One a, woman's vision, a vision that she held despite great odds. Now, when when you wrote this book, it was a, um, you and John were trying to put together a new way of thinking about leadership. You know, a new way of... I'm, I'm not sure it was such a new way of thinking because successful people, just like with the Go-Giver, successful people had already been doing those following those principles for years, long before we came up with them. Right, but I nobody think, had ever written it down quite the well, way you guys did. Well, I think that's, that's what we tried to do, you know, put it in a, in a form 
that was different from what others, um, you know, had had done. Um, and you know, that's something we're very very grateful for. But you know, certainly we we could take all of you know everything that we've written in that book, every law, and and whether individually or all together, and there are, you know there are great leaders who've been doing that for years and years, um, and that's one of the things that we we enjoy the most hearing the stories of people who have done these things, um, and that's what's so fun about it. You know, it's a it's a um, Bob. Uh, uh, Chapman, who wrote the book Everybody Matters, the CEO or the chairman and CEO of Barry Waymiller, a huge manufacturing firm in in um, based out of St. Louis, but certainly all over the world, who really just places the interest of his employees first and has helped them to grow and to thrive and has had a vision for doing that and he held it and he's just he's given leadership and he's and 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 the company is so very profitable and. Uh, you know, one of the great things about it is when people see that it's not a one or the other. It's not an either or. Oh, you either do this in a way you respect others or you make a lot of money. No. The ones that make a lot of money are the ones that do the right things and have a focus in the right place. Uh, my friend Lisa Earl McLeod has a book, Leading with Noble Purpose. Such a fantastic, fantastic book. And as she says, have the noble purpose and the money is going to follow. If your focus is simply on the, on the money, that's when you're not going to have an engaged uh, team. And it really makes sense when you think about it. But in that particular case, though, it, it sounds like you not only a noble purpose, but you have to have something that people perceive as providing value. Otherwise, well, the money is not going to come. No, that, that, but that's, that's baseline. <laughs> okay. Well, but you'd be surprised. I mean, I've had a number of people want me to coach them and and help them with their businesses and they come to me with these ideas and they're like well, we don't understand we've been doing this for five years and we're making no money and i i listen to their idea and i'm like mm. okay but your clients are all telling you they don't want this right you right. can't just make them want something right and not only does it have to be of value again it goes back to the what we were talking about earlier with the go-giver sales academy you've got to be able to communicate that value in a way that the um, that the prospective buyer sees it as being of value to them. Remember, no one is ever going to buy from you because you need the money or because you're a nice person or because you think what you have to offer is good. Right. <laughs> they're they're going to buy from you because they see it as being of value to them in their lives. They're going to buy it because they believe it's in their best interest to do so rather than to not do so. So absolutely, you've got to have a product or service that is of exceptional value and and be able to communicate that value. Which for so many people is so difficult to communicate is, that value. Last thought you'd like to leave my listeners with, in addition to how they can reach out to you and find out more. Um, well, it, to find out more, really, just thegogiver.com, if they'd like uh, the no hyphen in it, the thegogiver.com, and there they can find the books, the uh, podcast, and the information for the Go-Giver Sales Academy. I guess the last thought would really be to, and we'll refer, we'll refer to another book, and that is, is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I think his underlying principle in that book, where the, the basic, the foundational principle of that book, could be found in, in one of one of his most brilliant sentences, and that is, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. 
So I would say that great leaders, great influencers are always asking themselves the question, how does what I'm asking this other person to do align with their goals, their needs, their wants, their desires, their values? So you have, you're asking people to look at the other, put themselves in the other person's shoes. Absolutely. That's such a great way to think about things. I love that. You know, I was going to ask you what your daily practice is, but we only have a, a little bit of time left. I know one of your daily practices is you write handwritten notes of thank you versus email. Why is that? I, well, I, I write emails too, but but yes, well, I, I tend to write a lot of handwritten thank you notes. Uh, they just they um, have much more of an impact. I love that. That just says so much about your character. Oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Bob. And um, everybody, remember to go to thegogiver.com. The books that Bob and John David Mann have written are exceptional. They are in my library, and I often give them out to clients and and friends just because I think they are such amazing books. So grab a copy of The Go-Giver Leader, A Little Story About What Matters Most in Business. And it will, I promise you, and if it doesn't, come tweet out to me at the Laura Stewart and said it didn't, but I doubt it. It will transform and shift your perceptions about what being a leader means. Um, have a great day, everyone. And remember, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? See you next week. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.